All right, good morning. I want to invite everybody to go ahead and grab a seat, get some coffee, get a donut. <clears throat> and we're going to get started this morning. Welcome to the Tuesday morning men's Bible study at Park City's Presbyterian Church. We're glad that you've joined us this morning. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, welcome. We're glad that you are here. Uh, by design, each and every week as we study God's Word together, we do so in community and fellowship and brotherhood as men. And so if you do not have a table, make sure you see me or Melissa uh, on your way just in the front. She's at the front uh, at a table there. We can help you find a table group so you can join in the discussion uh, after my lesson today. Uh, if you've been with us, we're working our way through the book of 1 John. John is the author of the Gospel of John, as well as the book of Revelation. And in 1 John, he gets incredibly practical to help us to know what it means to truly walk as a follower of Jesus, to help us know what that looks like. And in particular, he uses the word, it's been our word for this series together, of what this looks like, and it's the word abide, to abide in Christ. And so we've been asking the question, what does that really look like? What's it mean to abide in Christ? How do we know if we are abiding in Jesus? And today, John will give us a very practical word. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? In fact, he'll say, what does it mean to even know God at all? To know God is to love. And so we have the hard task today, as a bunch of men at 7.02 in the morning, to talk about love. One of those subjects that we don't talk probably enough about as men and one of those subjects that, if we're honest, we fail at every single day. And yet, John will go so far to say that it is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's the heart of God himself. So let me pray for us. I'll read our passage, and we'll dive in. Father in heaven, we need you this morning to show us what it truly means to be loved by you. To, be, to even to receive that love as something that we cannot fathom, not only with our minds, but I think if we're honest this morning, so many of us have so many calluses around our hearts, it's hard for us to receive that love for what it truly is. And because of that, if we're honest as well this morning, we fail to love you, and we fail to love others. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would do um, a mighty work in us. And a topic that we often avoid as men, one that we um, don't even want to admit our own wounds, Lord, that you would meet us here, that you would show us what it means to love and why it matters so deeply to who you are and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. And we ask this in his holy and mighty and majestic name. Amen. Amen. Let me read uh, this section for us and then we'll dive in. Uh, again, if you were with us last week, this is great because, you know, last week we talked about testing the spirits, and again, John is just being incredibly practical, as he has been throughout the entire letter, but he's going to get increasingly practical until the end of the book, and you see most of the New Testament writers do the same. They'll spend many um, verses in the first half of a book kind of setting up the argument, setting up the theological foundation, the groundwork, and then saying this is the application. So that makes sense to us, right? 
And so as John has been building his argument, what it means to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, what it means to abide in Christ, he's now getting very practical. This is what it means, and it means to love. Look with me. This is 1 John 4, verse 7. You can turn there in a Bible, or you've got there in your handout. Notice how he begins this section. Beloved, he's talking to the church. He's talking to followers of Jesus. He's talking to Christians, and he's saying, you have an identity. You're loved. Man, I want you to hear that this morning. You are God's beloved. Do you know that? Have you received that? Do you walk in that? Or is that something that you don't really have a concept for? Beloved, John says, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins." Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is God's word for us this morning. We'll be looking at the idea of love this morning as well as next week. So giddy up. Why is this hard for us? Well, I think it's an important question. Uh, Part of the reason why it's hard for us is all the stereotypes are true. Uh, As men, we struggle with the concept of love. Um, Now, the question is, why? Well, I would argue that none of the reasons why are very good ones. But the truth is, if we're honest, many of us struggle with this idea, not only um, what it means to love someone else, but I think the root of it is we don't know how to receive love. And that's going to be important for what John has to say to us this morning. But the other reason why I think this is going to be hard for us is because we live in a culture that has completely redefined love. And it has done so in a way that it is no longer love at all. And yet we don't really have the spiritual ears or spiritual eyes to really see that or hear that. But if you just think about it at base level for just a little bit this morning, I want you to think about how our culture defines love. Okay? And you don't have to think very hard to see that pretty quickly how our culture has defined love is they have taken all that we think of love and they've put it into one category, and that is sexual love. And that has been thrown at us in every kind of way possible. I'm not just talking about pornography and things like that, and that's certainly it. But think about every kind of movie, every kind of book. Right, every kind of story about love is always romanticized, and it's always in a way that is uh, love is not only sexual, but it's conditional. I'm going to love you as long as I get something back in return. It always comes uh, with strings attached, and it always in the, is in the context of this kind of romanticized love. But what we're going to see in the Bible is love is far more, not just deeper than that, but love is unconditional, it's sacrificial, 
And in fact, the greatest kind of love, as C.S. Lewis said, is actually not the erotic kind of love. But the greatest kind of love is friendship. That's the greatest kind of love. And that's the kind of love, yes, you can have with your wife, but for those of you who are not married, and maybe never will be married, I want you to know what John has this morning to tell us is that you're not missing out on the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because if the greatest kind of love is friendship, then the kind of friendship that Christ offers you and I this morning is the greatest love that you and I could ever know. And it's the kind of love he calls us then to embody in the church as followers of Christ. So much so that he would go on to say at the end that it is our witness to the world. So three things I want you to know about love this morning. What is real love, true love? What does that really mean? And the first thing I want you to know is this, that love is God's idea. Love belongs to him. Love comes from God. I want you to look with me. This is 1 John 4, verse 7. John gives us this command, beloved, let us love one another. So that's the command. That's the call. As Christians, we're called to love one another. Why? He tells us. For love is from God. The idea of love must be defined by God, his character, and who he is. It cannot come from anything in our culture or in our world or any way that we would try to define it on a human level. Anytime that we do, we completely rob it of its power. And as you think this morning, and I think it's one of the questions that I want you to wrestle with at your tables of all the things that have shaped your own understanding of love, and it might not just be a book or a movie or a TV show or something like that, right? It could be the, what you saw in your parents, whether good or bad. It could be what you saw in friends and family and people around you growing up. Those have deep impacts on us, either to build us up and give us a good picture of love or to tear us down and put calluses around our hearts. And that just not only affects the way we love one another, but it affects the way that we understand who God is. He says, love comes from God. He doesn't stop there. Notice what he says. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, John says, in order to truly know God, you have to know what love is. Now, I want you to wrap your head around that for just a second. In order to truly know God, you need to know love. Now, I think there's several implications for us this morning. The first is this. Knowing God is not primarily an intellectual activity. Knowing God cannot simply be about your minds. We know this is true because the Bible tells us. In fact, what does the Bible tell us about what it means to know God? Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But how are we to know him with our mind? What does it say? We're to love him, to love him with our mind, to love him with our soul, to love him with our heart, to love him with our strength. It's the first and greatest commandment. The first and greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength. So knowing God cannot primarily just be an intellectual enterprise. And for many of us, we hide behind theology. 
without ever really having an actual understanding of God's love for us at, an, at a real, true, personal level. So my question, first question for you this morning is, how do you know God? Because the first would be, do you know him at all? Then the second would be, how do you know him? And if you just know him with your mind, you're not knowing him fully. Do you know what it means to be loved by him, to love him? To know God is to love. But the second thing, and this is what's going to be really challenging for us, not just this week, but next, is the opposite is true. In other words, if you don't love, you don't really know God. In fact, later, we're going to see this next week, John's going to say, look, if, if you don't love your brother, you're not really a Christian. If you fail to love your brother, then, then you can't really call yourself a follower of Jesus. If you don't know love, you cannot actually know God. He goes on to say this. Look with me. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. You can't get stronger than that. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So the only way for you to really know God is to know what love is. The opposite is true. If you don't love, you don't know God. That should give us some pause this morning for you and for me. Not only the way that we know him, but the way that we think about what it means to really follow him. And all of this is rooted in one of the most famous phrases in the Bible. Okay, and it's what comes next. Because God is love. Now, if you've grown up around church, I know you've heard that. But I would argue if you've grown up outside of church, you've probably heard that. It's, it's a phrase that's been popularized in our culture. A phrase that you will see on a poster board, right? Behind the field goal posts <laughs> at a college football game. It's, it's a phrase that's even been weaponized today in order to prove a point. And a lot of times, the way that that phrase is often used in our culture, God is love is an attempt to try to redefine our human understanding of what love is. And so what you'll hear is, look, God is love. God is love. And so that must justify any kind of human understanding that we have in love. And any kind of way and concept that we have of God. And we'll say, well, look, look, if God is love, then that means God must not have any kind of judgment. Because God's love, right? Well, if God is love, then he just, he's not ever going to judge you for your sin or hold you accountable because God is love. Or if God is love, then our own human understanding of love, even love outside of the context of marriage in a sexual way, well, that, that's up to us, right? Because God is love. But see, what John is doing here is he's not trying to help us to understand our own understanding of love on a human level in order to redefine God and make him in our image. That's not his goal. In fact, I would argue that his point here isn't really trying to teach us what God is like 
from a human understanding of love. In other words, what John's doing, he's not saying, hey, let's start with your understanding of love. I know God's hard to see. And so let's start with a human understanding and let's put that on him. No, he's doing the exact opposite. He's saying, we have no clue what love really is. And if you want to know what love is, you must start with God. God must be the very foundation of your definition of love. We don't start with our human understanding of love and put that on him. No, we start with him, and we allow him to redefine all of the ways that we have misunderstood and misapplied love. God is love. And if you want to know what love really is, you have to start with him. So the first thing I want you to know about love is it comes from God. And depending on who you are this morning, your own story... Odds are each one of us has some work to do to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to redefine some of the ways that we have misappropriated love in our own lives. Whether that's the way that we fail to receive love from others or receive love from God or the way that we have failed to love others, failed to love our spouses, failed to love our wives, failed to love our children, failed to love our friends failed to love the brothers even around this own, your own table right here. The way that we fail to love our neighbor, or as Jesus will call us to, even the way that we fail to love our enemies. So it's the second thing I want you to know. Not only does love come from God, but real love is sacrificial. Real love is sacrificial. I want you to look what he says next. In this, verse 9, The love of God was made manifest among us. What does that mean? Well, the word manifest just means it appeared, right? It's been made tangible. We're talking about something pretty lofty at some level when we talk about love. So he's saying, look, you want to know what love looks like? What the stuff of love really is at a tangible level? This is how it is. It's been manifest among us. How? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What's John saying? He's saying, you want to know what love is? Well, love comes from God. You know what that looks like? God took on flesh, and he stepped down into our brokenness, into our mess, in the person of Jesus Christ. Love was made manifest among us in Christ Jesus. If you want to know what love is, you need to know God. And if you don't want to know who God is, you need to know Jesus Christ. John in the gospel, another most famous part of the entire Bible probably, is John 3.16. But how does it begin? For God so what? Loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would have what? Will have eternal life. Why did Jesus come to the world? Well, there's lots of ways to answer that, right? And I want you to think about this for a second. Why? It's one of the great questions, especially of medieval theology. Anselm wrote this book, Curius Homo. Why the God-man? Why did God become man? Why? Well, one way to answer that question is because we are sinful and We need Jesus to come and to take on our flesh, our sin, and to die in our place. And only God could do that. Only God could come and die in our place and rise again. 
That's one way to answer that. And we saw that just a few weeks ago in 1 John. But what motivated him to do that? Why would God save a bunch of sinners like you and me? Why would he send Jesus? Because he loves you. Book of Ephesians, Apostle Paul tells us that in love he predestined us to be adopted as sons. What that means is that the love of God for you existed before the foundation of the world. His love for you is eternal. Fathom that. It's hard to fathom. In a second, we're going to see this play out. John goes on, he says this. In love, the love of God was made manifest among us so that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Notice what he says now, verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us. It's not only that our understanding of love begins with God, but our ability to love begins with first his love for us. The Bible puts it this way God loved us first. Why does that matter? God loved you before you ever loved him, his love was first what Paul means when he says in love he predestined us to be adopted as sons. It's what John means in the gospel. He says in love God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He loved us first. He loved you before you loved him. And understand this this morning. He loved you before you failed to love him. And so before any good thing you have ever done in your own mind for God, he loved you first. So what you do In your own action, in your own flesh, every good deed you think you can do, and every right Christian phrase you think you can repeat, and every good work you think you can perform, God's love came before that for you. He loved you before you did any one of those things. But also hear this, men, before any sin you ever committed, before any sin that you are committing, any sin that you are now, even as you come into this room this morning, that you are entangled with, any struggle that you are warring against and failing, any addiction, any struggle, any battle that you are currently in, God loved you first. He loved you first. And his love is powerful. It's redemptive. It's restorative. With his love comes a declaration You belong to me. You are my son. And my love for you came without condition before you failed and before you did any good. John says, verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us. Apostle Paul put it this way. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. (laughs) While we hated God, while we were enemies against him, while we were children of wrath, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and me. That is love. And that's sacrificial. So this is what John says 
Again, verse 10, and this says, love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is the word for sacrifice. It is the word for substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross for you and me. And I've talked about this before in this Bible study, but I think one of the most common misconceptions about the gospel in evangelical Christianity is that there's some kind of fight within the Trinity between the Father and the Son. And that God the Father hates you and is at war against you, and it's only because the Son died that He now loves you. That's not the gospel, and it's not good Trinitarian theology. Now, again, what are we talking about? God loved you, and so he sent his son to sacrifice himself in your place. Jesus died out of his love for you. I'd say it this way. God does not love you because Jesus died. Jesus died because God loves you. He sacrificed himself for you out of love. And what I want you to begin to understand is we cannot begin to love one another until we have first received that kind of love for us. So that's the first thing that you've got to wrestle with this morning. If you do wrestle with nothing else as you leave, have you received God's love for you? That he loved you so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place and to rise again. Have you really received that? That kind of sacrificial love that is yours, freely offered in the gospel. You can't know God without it. You can't receive God's love without it. And you can't love without it. In fact, you will never be the fullness of what it means to be human. And you will be outside his love without it. God loved you so much he sent his son to be a propitiation for your sins, a sacrifice. So it begins with our receiving that, but then that's the kind of love then we must begin to embody. Sacrificial love. What's that look like? Well, it looks like us laying our lives down for one another. It looks like us being humble in the way that we treat one another. It looks like, as Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, that we would have others as their interest and put their interest above our own. And the call to love in the Bible is exhaustive in terms of its categories. So it's not just, oh, well, love uh, the people who love you back. It's not even love. It's certainly here. It's love one another. This is in a Christian context. It begins there, but it, it extends beyond that. And so if you know the famous uh, parable of Jesus, of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus says, well, you know, somebody comes up to Jesus and, right, and asks him, like, well, what's, what are the greatest commandments? And he gives the first one. We just talked about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, the question that's asked is the question that the, underneath all of our questions when we hear this is, well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> In other words, do I really have to love everybody? Because that's kind of hard. And Jesus tells this parable that completely redefines not only who we think our neighbor is, 
but what love really looks like. Because in the end, the hero of the story is the one that any Jew would hate. It was a Samaritan. Who's your neighbor? Well, yeah, it's the person who looks like you. And maybe it's your physical neighbor on your street or in your apartment building or in your condo complex. But according to Jesus, your neighbor is also the person who looks nothing like you and acts nothing like you and lives nowhere near you. The person that you would never in a million years want to be caught dead with. The person that on any level you would probably disagree at every political point. The person with a different zip code, a different bank account. The person with a different culture, a different background. The person who grew up differently, that's your neighbor. Jesus redefines love so much to say that we are called to love everyone, regardless of who they are and where they come from. And then he even takes it a step further. And he says, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to love those who persecute us, those who hate us. Why? Why would God define love in such exhaustive terms? Why would he say, no, you're not just called to love your wife? Sometimes that can be the hardest person to love. Not even love your children. Not even love your friends. Not even love your family who you're stuck with. Not even love your physical neighbor. Why would he say, no, you need to love everyone, including your own enemies? Why? Because that's what he did for us. We're the enemy he loved. We're we're the one who had no business being in his presence. We're the one that was so far from him, you would hardly call us neighbors. And yet he came down out of heaven and took on our flesh. That is love. It's sacrificial And that is the kind of love he's called us to. The kind of love that says, I will lay down my life for you. Because that's what Jesus did for me. So the third and final thing before you go to your tables. What is love? Love is our witness to the world. Love is our witness to the world. Look with me. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So he summarizes all of this in one simple statement. If God loved us like this, that is the way we're called to love one another. And then he says this, just kind of almost very quickly, you would almost miss it. No one has ever seen God. Now that's an obvious statement. But what's his point? Look, we can't actually see God. But in the same way that God was made manifest to us in the person of Jesus, we now manifest God in our world in the way that we love one another, in the way that Christ loved us. Love becomes the way that we bear witness in the world. And if you think that sounds hokey, I want you to think about the world that we live in today. Think about, again, full circle, the way that our culture has redefined love. What it would look like if we as the church of Jesus Christ would embody the love of God 
and begin to tell a different story. A love that goes beyond conditional love. A love that goes far deeper than romantic love. A love that's far more fulfilling than erotic love. But it's the sacrificial love of Jesus. Or if you think about in the opposite way, the world that we live in today being a world of hate and animosity. A world where people are fighting against one another. A world where we put ideology and we put ideas as primary before engaging the heart and listening. In a world where we're quick to attack and to see someone who is different than us as other. And that kind of world, to love sacrificially, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to love our enemies, bears witness to a God who loved us so much that he sent his own son to die for us on the cross. God loved us so much that he made his love manifest among us in the person of Jesus. And now he's called us to manifest that love as we sacrificially love one another. Seeking to love our neighbors, seeking to love our enemies, and seeking to love one another in the way that Christ loves us. This is not only our call, but it's our high privilege. And it begins with God's love for us. Let me pray for you, send it to your tables. Father, these are hard things for us. They're lofty, um, and yet they're also so practical. And if we're um, honest, the truth is we, we have failed at this in so many ways. And the layers of misunderstanding and calluses that have been built up around our own hearts and the fog that's in our minds really has prevented us in so many ways from knowing your love for us and knowing what it means to love one another. So I pray, God, that you would be with these men as they discuss this thing at their tables. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. We need you every morning. But a morning like this where it would be easy to either think that we already know what this means or to hide behind the wounds that we carry and those who failed to love us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be honest with one another, with, with you, and that ultimately we'd know what it means to be beloved, to be the beloved sons of God whom you've sent into the world to proclaim the good news of your love and not only what we proclaim with the gospel, but the way that we live it out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.